Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Okay, we have an amazing episode for you guys today. But before we get going, I want to talk a little bit about the cryptocurrency markets and the Bitcoin markets. It is no surprise that these have been on an absolute tear over the last year or two. Now, a lot of people still don't understand what's going on. They don't understand how things work. They don't understand the technology or anything. And I really don't want my listeners to be left behind because I think this is revolutionary technology and there is a lot to it. So in episode 137 on my podcast, I had Marco Wutzer on and really it was probably one of the most popular episodes of the entire year. We've had so many people listen and reach out to us. Well, a lot of people don't know that Marco actually does a foundational course in cryptocurrency, in crypto space and blockchain technology and Bitcoin and everything that goes into this. I have gone through the course myself. Even though I have been in this field for five years, I still learned things myself and I really like the work that Marco does. So if you guys want to check this out, it's at expatmoneyshow.com forward slash leap, L-E-A-P forward slash leap. And you guys can check it out. It's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash leap. This program is amazing. It's really foundational. I wouldn't call it basic by any means. Someone asked me the other day, is it a basic course? No, it's not a basic course. It's a foundational course. It's really going to make it so that you know and understand all of the fundamentals of blockchain so that you can make smart decisions. You can understand how the technology works, where the direction of the market is going. Come on, guys. You don't want to be left behind in this. We've been talking about crypto for probably close to five years on this podcast. And the people who have listened and who have educated themselves have really made a lot of money. And there's still some people who are sitting on the sidelines. And I don't want that for you. So go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash leap. Sign up for the course. Learn what he has to say. Educate yourself. Personal responsibility. Take care of yourselves, guys. Take care of your family. I think it's important stuff. Okay, that's it. Let's jump into today's interview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is the host and producer of Geopolitics and Empire podcast. He hails from the United States. He was bred between two worlds of America and his ethnic homeland of Yugoslavia and Croatia, and he's moved back and forth between the two countries. He is also a naturalized Mexican, fluent in English, Croatian, Serbian, and Spanish, and truly a proud citizen of all three. Please welcome to the show, Hervoja Moric. How are you? I'm doing good. Hola. 
How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) Very good. You know, I'm a big fan of your podcast. My friend introduced me to your show, I want to say about four or five months ago, and I started listening to like so many episodes. And it's interesting because you cover the whole world and you have so many interesting guests on guests that I've never even heard about. But why don't you kind of take a minute and kind of walk us through your backstory? How did you get interested in politics and geopolitics? How did you end up traveling and living all over the world? I want to hear it all. I'm super interested. All right. Well, there's a short bio on my geopoliticsandempire.com website. But basically, as you pointed out, I was born in the U.S., Chicago. But then even since I was a kid, you know, back in the 80s, when you could still do that, my parents would send me alone on the plane to what was at the time Yugoslavia, but basically Croatia. We're ethnically Croats. And so we'd go to Croatia every year. Fifth grade, I, I spent in Croatia during the war. So we, we could still travel during the war uh, where we were in split Croatia, the war. The Serbs only invaded the eastern third of Croatia. So they had not gotten that far. And so I spent fifth grade in Croatia, went back for junior high in Illinois, and then went back again for high school to Croatia. And then came back again to do my studies in, in Illinois. Um, I did um, education and history. And then after I finished my degree, like 2005, I just learned all about 9-11 and the Federal Reserve and the American Empire. And I just wanted to permanently expatriate from the U.S. I wanted to travel and see the world. And I wasn't too keen on the way things were going in the U.S. And we can we can kind of see how things have degenerated now. And so I, I did Peace Corps Mongolia. So I lived in a yurt. I left Peace Corps early. So I did a little over a year. You know, when you're young, you're just, you're going through the motions and things change. And so I loved Mongolia. I actually thought I was going to stay there for like, extend my Peace Corps service, but I ended up living after a year. And I went back briefly to the US and did my master's of international relations in Geneva at the Geneva School of Diplomacy, which was fascinating because I had professors like Curtis Dobler, who was Saddam Hussein's defense lawyer, uh, Yasser Arafat's brother-in-law was my communications instructor. Alfred Desayas, the well-known UN special reporter who's often featured on Grey Zone and Russia Today, who's been on my podcast like three times. He was my professor. And so amazing time. And then when I finished in 2009, I thought like I was literally applying for jobs everywhere in the world. Like I was about to apply for jobs in Alaska, Afghanistan, Mongolia, Saudi Arabia. I just wanted to go out into the world. And then I ended up in Mexico. Got a job teaching at the best school in Mexico, the Tech de Monterrey, Monterrey Institute of Technology. And then I just ended up staying here. You know, you say, I'm going to come for a year. You know, I'll learn Spanish. The women are, are, are pretty, you know, Mexican women. The temperature's great. The food's great. And people are just friendly. And so I came for a year. One year turned into many years. I married, I bought a home, became a Mexican. And then for, I got offered a job in 2017 to go to Kazakhstan. So I spent three years there and then the whole COVID-1984 hit and I just ran back to Mexico. And meanwhile, I had started up the podcast as a hobby in the early like 2011, 12, and I formalized it in 2016. It was, it had been a hobby until last year when I'm trying to make it like a full-time gig. So was it a good decision to end up leaving Kazakhstan? How have they handled COVID? I have not followed what they've been doing whatsoever. I would say it was a great decision for me because I had actually planned to live in Croatia before COVID-1984. We were there actually 2019, I think, in Croatia. But all of this happened. And for me, like I view it as, you know, it's the new world order takeover. And so 
I didn't want to be stranded in Kazakhstan. So in, in 2020, we tried to get back. And I said, you know, we're not going to go to Croatia. We're going back to Mexico because I felt this technocracy, this social, because it's all about the social credit system like we have in China. The, the goal of the pandemic is to bring it to the rest of the world. And the countries that are more developed will install it first. And the EU, Europe is like one of the first places. It's a total technocracy, uh, you know, Europe. Uh, and so it will take longer to get to places like Mexico, Latin America, even though it's it's still very, you know, it's still very much here. They're, they're, they're trying to do it here. I just think it will take a little bit longer. And so Kazakhstan, yeah, like you can't work unless you're vaccinated in most places. So my former workplace, you had to be vaccinated. So only one of my colleagues, he refused. He was fired, but he's happy. And so they have the, the app. So they've got an app. It's called Eshuk. And you can't go into like many of the malls and places at least in the two big cities of Nur Sultan and Almaty, in many of the big mall areas, you can't get in without scanning the QR code, proving that you have the green status, which means that you're vaccinated. Uh, and so that's like already operating there. They tell me in the smaller towns, nobody really cares, but you know, maybe down the line, they will force them to comply. But here in Mexico so far, we, we really haven't had that. So yeah, I would think it's a good idea to have fled. And I don't even know like flights, like Maybe during 2020, like you couldn't fly without being vaccinated or PCR tested. I've never taken a PCR test. I refuse to do that. So good for you. I, I cannot say the same. I've had to have many, many, many of these tests because I refuse to stop traveling. I just keep traveling, traveling, traveling. But I do think that it's interesting what you say about Europe, because I find that a lot of people still behave as if the world is going to go back to 2017, 2018, and they're holding on to these ideas. So I get tons of clients who come from Canada, the US, they want to go somewhere more free. And then they get in their heads that Europe's a beautiful place and they can go and live over there. It's like, oh, I'm going to go move to Spain or Greece or Portugal or something. And it's like, no, like, where do you think that this is coming first? I mean, it's worse there than it is back home. I mean, that's why at the end of the day, after working through so many clients, I would say the majority of the people end up coming down to Latin America. I think it's the last place left. We've had problems in certain countries here, but I think it's going to be the last holdout. Yeah, I would totally agree. I also do cons uh, consultations, but just general stuff like to you know, help people just like, not the in-depth stuff that you do. And most of the people that are just interested in Mexico, I've, I've talked to Canadians, Americans, people out like in Southeast Asia and Europe wanting to flee here. And yeah, like I could go back to Croatia. I've got a home there, but you know, I need to take a PCR test to get in, which I refuse. As a EU national, I hate using the term. I'm not a citizen of the EU, but that's what they call it. It's a total globalist supranational construct. But then my wife would have to take the vaccine, I think, to get in. And so for now, Latin America is one of the places that will buy you more time. And it's the seat, you know, Davos, all of this stuff is coming out of Europe and the U.S. So how has Mexico been over the last year or so or last two years, I guess? I mean, you always read that Mexico's wide open. But then I've talked to other people who are saying how Mexico it's like mask city there and people are scared of their own shadows. So what's your take? So regarding Mexico, yeah, I would say that a lot of people say it's like wide open and free and there's truth to that, but I'm also the kind of more devil's advocate sort of guy where I'm looking under the hood and seeing things that people aren't talking about. So yeah, Mexicans have gone along with the mask thing, which really irritates me. 
I refuse to wear the mask and I go to like these little tienditas shops where like the bigger establishments, they demand you wear the mask. Sometimes I'll walk into them if, like once a year if I have to go. I just recently, you know, went into like Walmart or something and I, I stuck up for six months. I like fill up the cart, you know, hundreds of bucks because I, I just don't want to go wear this cursed thing. And so I'll buy six months worth of non-perishable goods, you know, coffees and things. I managed to get in. 50% of my shopping without wearing the mask. And it's always a security guard or a cleaning person that comes in. I don't think it's worth the, you know, fighting for the mask thing. So what I do is I have these stickers. So I'll put on the mask and then, you know, I'll throw this sticker on my mask that says the media is the virus or <laughs> what's another good one. You know, Im imagine, imagine still believing that all of this has to do with stopping a virus, you know, just at least, that's my little thing. And so generally, yeah, but like, like I said, they still have these mask mandates in place because the government, like here in Jalisco, where I am, they will fine the business. So they've managed to do this. It's all illegal, but they will fine the business and shut it down if the business doesn't enforce the mask. So mo the bigger businesses enforce it, but the smaller places, like I said, I just walk in without a mask. They don't care. Even they're not wearing it sometimes. In 2020, the Mexico City government tried to enforce the QR code where you, to enter anywhere you have to scan. Not enough people complied. And then after a week, they were like, okay, just kidding, whatever. Here in Jalisco, they tried to apply the vaccine certificate the last few months. They just removed it. It was like for bars and casinos and conference centers. There's a state of Tlaxcala. It's a very tiny state. So in Tlaxcala, the governor there, made it across the board mandatory, like supermarkets and even parks, like supposedly, I don't know how they would enforce it, but cops would see you in the park and then ask to see your vaccine certificate. So the thing is, all of this is happening in many states. Guanajuato, the governor, at one point was saying he wanted to make mandatory the vaccine certificate to the point where they would take away your social benefits. Like if you're a retired person getting social security, so I'm seeing this trend, even though they weren't able to apply it, I'm more pessimistic that this is the global dystopian plan and they're going to try again in the future. So, you know, Guanajuato, Tlaxcala, Jalisco, Ciudad de Mexico, Dur Durango, a politician wanted to make it mandatory. In Baja California, they were uh, trying it. You know, down in Oaxaca, you saw stuff. I'm trying to remember other states. Uh, Mazatlan. So the guy made it, the guy went nuts. He made it like mandatory, the vaccine passport to go into supermarkets and banks. I actually bought a Mexican constitution. It's completely illegal. About 500 people in Mazatlan got injunctions. So with this injunction, they were able to go without the vaccine certificate into the shops. Eventually, most shops stopped doing it. Uh, and this just shows you that they've gotten to the governors, these elites, these, uh, you know, they've gotten to the mayors and to the governors if they couldn't get to the president. And so this is how they're operating from the ground up. And I for we got the digital Mexican peso coming in in two years. I just saw yesterday that Banxico, the Bank of Mexico said by 2023, it's going to be in full operation. And so for me, that's like linked, you know, the digital passport to the digital currency, the social credit system. So don't be fooled that it won't come here, but it might be easier to get around this for a while in Mexico. That's the thing is that people want to create this wish list of where they want to go and how they want to live their life. They don't realize that it's literally every country in the world. There is no place where you can have all of your freedoms back. It just at this moment does not exist. And I hate to be the one to say that. I truly wish this was not the case, but freedom is under attack on many different fronts. 
it's not just one thing. It's not just one group. And I don't know what people need to do to kind of wake up to this, but the compliance, like you mentioned, the more you comply with these types of things, the worse it is going to get. And that's been what's angered me the most is this is the issue. I'm, I'm going crazy telling the people around me, like, what are you doing? But even now it's like, people really have no clue about how bad things are and how bad they're going to get in the future, you know? So, yeah, I would agree that, I mean, as I just outlined, it's, it's here in Mexico operating. I just numbered all of these Mexican states that have attempted to implement these basically social credit system. Like I said, I'm a Croatian citizen. Um, the EU has the EU digital passport. We see in the U.S. I can't return to the U.S. because my wife is a foreigner. She's a Mexican. I don't want her to become a U.S. citizen because then, you know, she has to report to the IRS. You know, if we want to rent our a home here that's in her name or something, I don't know. You know, she'd have to report all of her bank accounts. Just like what for? And so she can't go back to the U.S. And so people know how bad it is in Canada. And there are a few places to get away to, you know. So do you have any insight then on how this is being organized? Because it seems to me like every government around the world is in lockstep with one another, like in some form or another, they're all following the narrative. I mean, you can't get these people together in a room to agree on anything, but this is all happening. So I don't understand. Do you have any insights? There are some podcasts that I did like with Johnny Vedmore, who writes for Whitney Webb's Unlimited Hangout, Willem Engel, the number one. COVID-1984 activist in the Netherlands who was recently arrested twice and released from jail twice. So they've mentioned this. And Matt Errett, who I've interviewed, who wrote a great piece for Whitney Webb's Unlimited Hangout. And, you know, if you put some of this information together, you can see that the goal has always been world government. It's in their documents going back a century. Usually it's coming from the British elites, European elites. Myself as a Christian, I, I, I believe this as well. The Bible prophecy kind of talks about this. You read that book of Daniel and Revelation. It implies there's going to be a global government and some kind of system where if you don't submit to the system, you can't buy or sell. And from what I put together from Matt's and, and Johnny's work was you can kind of, you can go back to Cecil Rhodes, that you know wealthy British magnate. Rhodesia was named after him, which is today Zimbabwe, I think. He wanted to create a world government. He says in his own words, he left his money from his will for this purpose to create these British roundtable groups. And he wanted to basically use the British Commonwealth as the template. Think about how Cecil Rhodes was going to use the British Commonwealth as the foundation for create a world Commonwealth. Which countries were the first to go crazy lockdown? The British Commonwealth countries, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, so on. And so that's been the goal. He created the Rhodes Scholarship. Many of these elites doing the lockdowns our Rhodes Scholars, and then, you know, the Council on Foreign Relations. First, it was the Royal Institute, and then the Council on Foreign Relations in like 1919. And then you get to the creation of the CIA. And then Johnny talks about how, what was it, like in the 1960s, Klaus Schwab went to Harvard. Uh, and then at this international Harvard seminar that was sponsored by the CIA, and that's the genesis of the European Management Forum, which becomes the World Economic Forum. And the European Management Forum's goal was to unify Europe and the U.S. into a supranational union. Again, the genesis of a world government. So that's where all of this is headed. You know, the World Economic Forum is the face, the branding of this push to create the world government. And Willem Engel, who I interviewed, says that you've got the WEF instructs our ministers and that behind the scenes, you've got all of these consultancy companies like McKenzie and many others that have already made the laws for this COVID stuff. 
they give it to the politicians who just have to sell us on it. And so that's kind of the infrastructure to get this all across. I mean, how else do you see everyone working in lockstep from Kazakhstan to Mexico? And, and a lot of these elites are globalists. You know, I worked at the Nazarbayev school. I've been to his library in Astana, Nur Sultan. He's a total globalist. He's got books talking about globalism. So. Because it's so wild, you finally get your head around these superpowers and trying to kill each other and these countries that hate each other. And then, all right, this comes along, but Russia's still following as well with all the types of lockdowns and mandates and everything like that. China's doing it. China's now just ramped up theirs again. It's happening all over Africa. It's happening in Turkey. All these global superpowers and they're all doing it together. So, or do you think that these are two separate organizations and they're kind of competing? One, which is a world government and one, which is the normal narrative of we hate your guts and war, 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 and we're going to steal from each other. Like I, I can't quantify these two things, how they come together. Because now with the war in Ukraine, it just seems like business as usual. I can't answer that. All right. I've been trying to answer that myself with a number of my guests that had different perspectives. Some say that the East is fighting against the NWO, you know, Putin and Xi Jinping. And others say that they're all in on it. I think it's kind of both where this global network, it's in Russia. You see, they built the fourth industrial revolution hub in October of 2021 in Russia. Spare Bank is on board with like the whole ideology. Spare Bank is this bank in Russia that's like promoting the social QR code, social credit system. The head of Spare Bank, Hermann Graf, is tight with Klaus Schwab. And so you've got that network there, but it can be possibly that some of the national elites like Putin, they're fighting for their seats at the table of the world government. And maybe this world government that emanates from the, the West, they're thinking that Putin and Xi will have lower ranks you know, at the table. And so these guys are fighting for some of their own personal or, or national interests. So it can be kind of both. It's kind of a fight for who's going to sit where at the world government table. So I don't necessarily think that these Eastern elites are ideologically against the idea of globalism, because like in 1994, Nazarbayev, the former president of Kazakhstan, supposedly it was his idea to create the Eurasian Union, which Putin is supporting. That's modeled on the EU. That's a globalist idea. So they're pushing that. So even the Mexican president, most people don't realize, AMLO just months ago proposed creating a Latin American Union or North American Union based on the EU. He literally said that. So he didn't shut us down, which was good. And he's fighting for Mexican sovereignty, but he's also promoting globalism. So it's really weird how to, you know, how to quantify these things. But at the end of the day, if they're promoting globalism, long term, they want globalism. So I just see that's where things are headed. All right. Well, you don't paint a very rosy picture there. It's kind of a nightmare, the whole situation. What are you doing in your life to actually preserve your freedom? Well, basically running for the hills, you know, kind of the stuff that you do is I've got three passports. So it's always good to have as many options as you can. I'm getting out of debt. I've got an online job. So I do TNT radio daily and I've got my podcast and I'm, I'm just trying to, I don't have it yet, but I'm trying to get a farm just to buy farmland to get outside of the city and to have like a well, you know, water and food. And to try to get community, the problem is I know someone in another part of Mexico that's welcoming me to their community, but it's just for now, it just doesn't adjust with my person, you know, with my family's, my wife's perspective. We can't just go out in the boondocks in Mexico yet. Maybe when things could get Mad Max, but so I'm looking for some land outside of the city where, in the state where I am. And it seems most people that I talk to 
I mean, this is kind of what you have to do because the cities, they're trying to push everyone into the cities and that's where the control grid is going to be. So try to go analog as much as possible, basically making your own food, getting as less digital as, as possible. You know, I've, I've got a dumb phone. I still haven't had the time. I want to de-Google my phone where you remove Google, you install lineage OS, and then you can use your smartphone at least without it communicating to Google, you know, just doing a number, you know, having more physical assets than let's say we saw with the banks, they can just, I don't trust any bank here, even in Mexico here, they can just, you know, we've got a cyber pandemic probably coming up, banks might crash or they might, you know, for political reasons, freeze your account. And so trying to diversify as much as you can in, in different ways. Yeah. I think that's the name of the game. It's just so wild because even in your own family, you have to deal with things like not wanting to come to terms with what's happening in the world. It's like, no, we want to still be going out for nice dinners and the cinema and meeting friends every week and things. And it's like, yeah, it's fine at the moment, but if we're not planning, things will go bad real fast. Just look what's happened in the last two years. If five years ago you told them or three years ago you told people what was happening today, they would have never believed it. And it's just absolutely normal life now. The fact that you can walk down the street and see someone wearing a mask in their car with the windows up all by themselves shows you the psychological damage that's been done throughout this. And even like people in my church, like I said, I'm a Christian and this has been in the Christian, you know, worldview. It's been talked about for decades and we see it happening. And I only know like one other person in my church who's serious about us two getting land and nobody else cares. And like, I, like you say, even my wife, I told her exactly precisely what would happen over the last two years. And it's happened. She's still like living in La La Land. I'm like, and I'm like, we got to go. Like, what, forget <laughs> all of this stuff. Or you're like looking for furniture or whatever. It's like, I, I might not even be able to work tomorrow. I need to get the land and some goats and sheep and chickens, you know? And it's just, it's, it's really hard. People still don't get it. But I guess this is just basic human nature. And I forget the ancient philosopher's quote. He says something like, you know, people will only learn through pain. And so I, I don't think until things get so bad where people lose their jobs, they can't afford literally to buy anything. Maybe at that point, it's going to be late, but better late than never, I guess. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm a massive reader of history. I mean, I probably read history two hours, three hours a day, every day. And some of the atrocities that have happened in this world, we're not talking about you know, ancient history or thousands of years ago. I mean, they're in our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation. And it's just so wild that people just don't think that it can happen again. And it is, it's, it's happening right now. And it's like, I'm just scratching my head. How are people not understanding this? How are you not preparing? How are you not protecting yourself? I just find it so irresponsible at this point. They, they tell me that my grandfather, Croatian grandfather was a Nazi prisoner because Croatia from 41 to 44 was taken over by a Croatian Nazi regime. So maybe he was anti-fascist. He survived. He was kept in the hole for six months. Not a great experience, but yeah, like you say, like, and I knew my grandfather, I remember him. He died in 97 from old age. Great guy. He was always like a, the rumors about him. He was, you know, he was an honest man. He was all about, you know, being an honest kind of person. And I, you know, I, I very well remember hanging out with him and yeah, it's just, it's not that long ago. And I always cite that book. They thought they were free where this German American Jew interviews 10 average Germans. He doesn't tell them that he's Jewish because that could color the interview. 
of how they went along with the Nazi regime. And you see the same stuff today. They're saying, oh, well, you know, it happened so slowly over time. We didn't understand that, you know, everyone else was doing it, blah, blah, blah. It's the same stuff we see with COVID-1984. It's terrifying. Okay, let's take a quick break. All right, guys, Expat International School, the new program that we've put together with my buddy, Michael Strong. It is amazing. We actually have kids that are in the program right now, and the feedback has been phenomenal. The kids are absolutely loving school. They're actually learning so much. They're making friends. This is not just a video course or something like that. No, it is extremely high touch. They have classes, 15 maximum kids per group. We call them cohorts. And we have one guide for that. The program is unbelievable. Michael has over 30 years experience in the educational space. He comes from a Montessori background. He actually did curriculum design for Montessori. We're taking a lot of his ideas and we're putting them online together. And we're going to tackle a lot of the problems that face expat and digital nomad families. So if you or your kids or your neighbors or your grandkids or your cousins, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, have kids ages eight to 19, then what I want you to do is go to expatschool.io and find out more information about the programs. If you're serious about this, then jump on a phone call with me, with Michael, with our team. Let's sit down. Let's discuss. We can answer all of your questions. We can look at the entire program. And if it makes sense, we will make an invitation for your family to join. I'm really excited about this. I've never been so pumped up about anything in my entire life. I think this could be the greatest thing I've ever done. The kids are in there right now. The program is up and running. Go to expatschool.io and find out more information. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. So you mentioned that they're trying to drive people into the cities where it will be easier to surveil them and control them. But we've kind of at the same time, seen the opposite over the last couple of years with people being furloughed and people losing their job and getting used to remote work. I mean, literally everybody that I know has the same idea about getting a farm and getting out of the cities. But maybe it's just I converse in circles where that is the norm. And maybe the group think other people are happy to return to the office. Like, what do you think is going on there? Yeah, I would agree. I've Misha Shedlock, who's a good economic blogger, was pointing out the outflow, like in the US, out of cities. But I think what you say about the people buying farms, that it's not that many as you think. It's like the people that we talk to. But when I talk to my normie friends and people, you still have normie friends? <laughs> well, you know, friends, friends and family and stuff, but they're all in the same place, you know, where they've always been in, in, in the cities or, or suburbs. And so, yeah, I would say that we have seen, because we're following this stuff. I was just watching today, Vice put out a short clip, you know, with Derek Bros and, and, and other people here in Mexico, all the anti-vaxxers fleeing to Mexico. And Derek Bros says, you know, maybe it's like five or ten, five to 10,000 people, you know, maybe more that have fled to Mexico, but that's from different countries. That's like Canada, US and other European countries. But if you just think about in the grand scheme of things, it's not really that many people. It just seems like most people are still relegated to the urban areas. So I don't, I don't really think it's that many people. So, and if it is a lot of people, I don't think the globalists care. They'll just be happy with the people they got in their urban web and the rest they'll take care of later. They'll send the black mirror metalhead robo dogs after them. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's a charming thought. My goodness. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I don't know if it is this echo chamber type of thing that everybody I talk to, all my friends, all the clients that I'm helping to move overseas, you know, we all have one type of belief pattern. Like I don't watch mainstream media. I have no idea what's going on with any of that. I don't watch normal television or read the newspaper or anything like that. I mean, I stopped talking to family members who have gone extreme woke because I just don't want that type of cancerous ideology in my life whatsoever. So I just don't see it anymore. Like I'm in a very fortunate position financially and I own my own business. And so I really only have to associate with those people that I want to associate with. But then at the same time, you kind of just think like, you think that everybody's getting it, but like you said, maybe it really is just such a small, small percentage of the population. Even if it is people that get it, like I've met a few more people here in Mexico that have gotten up to our frequency, but they can't leave their jobs. They don't want to. They're too scared or they can't do anything about it. You know what I'm saying? So maybe they're aware now, but they don't have the further motivation to do what you and I are doing or, you know, your clients are, are doing. So. so on your podcast, I've heard your opinion about cryptocurrency quite a bit. I mean, I'm big into crypto. I've had many guests on the show talking about crypto. I always think of it as a defensive weapon to protect us. Why don't you give me your perspective on cryptocurrency? I'm not an expert in the crypto space. This is just my view of it, given everything I've been talking about, you know, globalism, their plans and all of this stuff. I've had people on my podcast who are pro-crypto. On my TNT show, I recently interviewed Mark Yevtovich for the CEO of EasyDNS, and he writes the bomb thrower and crypto capitalist newsletter, very pro Bitcoin and crypto. So you know, maybe I'm wrong. So you know, I have people from both sides, but I just can't shake my feeling for now that Bitcoin was was their project. You know, you had like the 1988 Economist cover talking about 2018 and the crash of fiat currencies and this new coin that looks very similar to the Bitcoin symbol coming out, the 1997 NSA MIT white paper talking about electronic currencies. And the way I view it is like, they want us in a cashless society and they want these CBDCs, central bank digital currencies. If they just came out out of the blue and said, hey guys, we're going to move to cashless society. Everyone's going to be like, what are you talking about? No. But if you have like buttering up this, this kind of like bridge in Spanish, I think you say like enganche, like something to whet your appetite. For me, I see Bitcoin and crypto as that from like 2010 to 20, you know, now 2020, a lot of people got rich and excited about crypto. So they wet a lot of people's appetites kind of to prepare us for the CBDCs. Now, you also don't know where Bitcoin came from. I tend to think that a lot of these things, one person can't create it. It takes a team. Like I think that when you think of Bill Gates and Microsoft, Jeff Bezos or Amazon, Mark Zuckerberg or, or Facebook, like we know that DARPA had a project the Pentagon's brain, DARPA, had a project called LifeLog that was basically Facebook. And the day LifeLog was retired, I think it was like February 3rd, 2004, literally February 4th, 2004, Facebook was incorporated. So like Mark Zuckerberg didn't create anything. He's just, they asked him to be the front man to sell this. It takes a team to create this, these kinds of things. Like So that, that's just kind of my view. Like, well, they say that a number of cypherpunks we're involved in creating Bitcoin, not just one guy, one person, but I just see this. And so I, I follow a lot of smart people. Like I said, Mark Yevtovich, there's a guy called Konkoda. He's got a Twitter account and a fascinating Substack. He's totally like saying Bitcoin's going to crash. Like I said, I don't know which way it's going to go, but I'm tending to think that Bitcoin will 
crash. If you can use it and take advantage of it now and get rich, sure, that's great. I think it's paving the way to the cashless society. Once we're in this system, we're completely screwed. I did a great interview with Edwin Black in June 2020. He talks about, he says it's the algorithm ghetto, like the Jewish ghettos, except so in this algorithm ghetto, you do something they don't like, they turn everything off. You can't do anything. You literally can't buy bread. You're literally going to starve to death in your home. No one will want to help you because if they help you, they will be turned off. And so that's my black pill view on, on Bitcoin. And I guess we'll see what happens. All of the world's countries now are, are installing the CBDCs. You know, Mexico in two years will have CBDC. I was reading last week, Iran is doing... Pi- I read about Iran as well, which is... <laughs> crypto, Real, Brazil, uh, Kazakhstan, everyone. So once they got the CBDCs in place, you know, Mark Yevtovich's theory is that you're going to have the, everyone's going to have CBDCs. It's going to be like the totalitarian system, but you will have the cryptos operating alongside as like a pressure valve that will allow us, those of us using it, some freedom, or maybe somehow they'll get rid of the cryptos and just have the CBDCs. Again, I, I don't know. This is just my view that Bitcoin was their way to get us to the CBDCs, which is the way to get us to the cashier society. It's one of those things where it's like, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Like, I focus so much on the tax issues, on the immigration things, on the location and the the style of life. Like I said, I'm a massive fan of crypto. And just now start doubting that. I just don't know if my brain can handle it. You know, it's like... I need to be positive about some things. And I had my very dear friend, Paul Rosenberg, on the show a couple of years ago. I talked to him uh, on my TNT program a few weeks did ago. Did you? We did a two-hour uh, session, so people can find that archive at tntradio.live. Yeah. He's amazing. I'll be smoking cigars with him in 30 minutes. As soon as we're done our interview, I'll be smoking cigars with him. And Wow. Tell him I say hello. I will, absolutely. <laughs> He's a good guy. You know, I, I kind of like his story about the history of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. You know, he wrote the book, A Lodging for Wayfaring Men, about 20 some odd years ago. And it really laid out the organization of cypherpunks and how they organized and and how they could put together a project like this. And then lo and behold, 10 years later, we have it. And he was in all of those types of forums and was talking to people on a daily basis and was really in that space. So I remember chatting with him and, and he was saying, no, there's no way it's a CIA project. It's just, it's just impossible. So I try to have faith in that, you know, that Paul's an extremely smart guy and I'm going to go with that type of narrative because just like we were talking before, where when you're talking to people and their acceptance of what's happening in the world, I think that everybody has some type of a point where it's like, they just can't deal with it. And for me, just to be so absolutely wrong about blockchain technology and crypto. And I mean, I try to be open for anything and everything. And I try to look at things from every single point of view. And I'm always questioning my assumptions about everything. I just think that that one's a hard one to swallow. Yeah, like I said, I, I don't know. I'm colored. You know, everyone has their own worldview, spiritual view. Like I said, I'm a Christian and I believe the the prophecy. Maybe, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe, you know. maybe we'll get to this global dystopia and Bitcoin will still exist as a way to survive, to buy food on a daily basis. Like I said, I, I have no idea. So maybe it is genuine, like he says, but maybe something happens where the elites manage to, you know, screw it up. Like I, so I could be wrong, yeah. Well, and then your other point about going analog, I think is really important. I mean, although I am heavily invested in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, at the same time, I'm still a massive proponent for precious metals, 
for silver in easily divisible quantities, silver coins, eagles and maple leaves and philharmonics and these types of coins, as well as bars, as well as gold, cash. I mean, we still like cash at the moment. It's still being accepted in most places in the world. I think stockpile it while you can, especially if you have a safe place to hold it. And barter. I mean, we're starting our own freedom cell here. We just had John Bush on the show a couple of weeks ago. We're starting our own little Panama freedom cell, and it will all be about barter and exchanging goods for services and goods for goods and escaping the middleman. So these types of agorist ideas, I think, are a massive defense, or I hope they're going to be a massive defense for what's happening in the world. Yeah, all of what you said, physical, uh, precious metals, property, land, you know, it, it, buy a car now. They might not be, they said they're not going to be manufacturing gas powered cars, you know, after 20, uh, 26 or whatever. And if you have land, buy like quality tools that are going to last, you know, a long time that you know you're going to need, you know, hammers, shovels, what all of that stuff. And so, yeah. And then, as you say, manage, you know, have your digital crypto assets, whatever, but make sure you have also the physical, everything kind of covered as, as, as much as you, you can. It's really, it's like what we're going into. I've been saying since 2020 that this is, well, even before 2020, I've been saying that we're going to, we're going into another World War III scenario, like 1930s, economic collapse, rise of authoritarianism and the world war. I just never thought it would be global. Like we just saw it happen over the two years. Like I thought I could just leave the U.S. The U.S. will become more fascist. You know, they're creating the domestic terror units to go after conservative people who like the constitution, who are conservatives. I mean, this is going pretty much like Nazi fascist, but now it's, it's like you said, it's, it's a global level. So it happened so fast. Like it, a lot of us knew this was coming, but we're, it's still surprising when it comes, you know? Well, and then final point on the Bitcoin is that I have so many clients and so many subscribers who are hodling massive amounts of cryptocurrency and do not want to sell it because they're worried that if they sell it now and then the price goes up, they've lost out. This is the opportunity cost. But to your point, exactly. Buy shuffles, buy tangible things that are actually going to help you in your life to survive. If you only have a cold wallet or a hot wallet and you've got crypto there, and yes, you might be able to trade it for goods in the future, but you might as well trade it for goods right now. Have physical things that are actually going to protect you. Like I just purchased a firearm here in Panama. Yes, I paid three times the price for it if I was in the United States. But if push comes to shove, I will be very happy that I spent that money on it. Hopefully I never use it or and I never need it. But if I do need it, yes, I would, I would more than happy pay that price. At the moment that you need it, you would pay a hundred times that amount of money. And it's like that with all of these types of things, like with a, a piece of land, with a small orchard and some livestock on it, some chickens and things like that. Okay. Yes. It's expensive. You have to put the money into it. Yes. Your Bitcoin can go to a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars, but if you don't have an ability to buy it in the future, if you don't have access to it when you need it, then what's the point of all of this? Yeah, I, I've been kind of doing that. Maybe I've, I did it the wrong way. I used, uh, I had a teeny bit of Bitcoin and I used an official exchange and I've been reporting it to the IRS. In fact, I just had my taxes because I'm a US citizen. This is the thing that sucks. Like in Mexico, if you're a Mexican, they still don't have laws about this. So you can, even though I'm a Mexican, but I'm still a US citizen, you can just get away with trading, buying crypto as a Mexican, but I don't screw around with the IRS. So I had that reported and I, I just took, I've taken off a little just, you know, to pay for repairs that I needed uh, on my home because uh, we have this huge rainy season and then, you know, rain starts to get into your house. And it's just like, I want to make sure the home is well protected. 
And as you say, for, for any other things that I need, sell off some digital assets to buy real world assets. Because again, you don't know, I, I have no idea what's going to happen with crypto. Maybe it'll go to 100,000. Maybe it'll go to 10. Well, I still, you know, I have some, you know, I'm going to take a little off the top. So. so what's your opinion then? Do you think that these globalists, the technocrats, do you think they've overplayed their hand? Do you think that things are going to get better or are we all screwed? I genuinely want to know. Well, I'm, I'll start first again, because of my Christian perspective that we're all screwed, unless you got Jesus, right? If you believe in Jesus, no matter what happens, you'll die and you'll spend eternity in heaven. So people paint me as this like you know, very pessimistic person, but often it's people who don't believe in, in God or Jesus. And so that's my personal spiritual thing where that's how I'm able to face all of this negativity where I have my parachute, right? Which is Jesus. So let me just get that straight. But I do think that we are headed for a terrible time, but then this is where it gets complicated. Like one thing I interviewed Pastor Arthur Pawlowski. I think many people have heard of him. He was the Canadian pastor who was arrested and then re-arrested. I think he just got out again. And my after interview brief chat with him, he was also saying that he thinks this is like the prophecy, the revelations happening, but that it's Satan has tried to do this many times in history. Like if we go back 80 years, you know, the fourth turning cycle, like uh, 1920s, 1930s, Nazi Germany, Soviet Union, that perhaps that was an attempt, you know, for Satan to bring this all about. And he failed for whatever reason, whether it was God putting a spoke in his wheel, us pushing back and or, you know, it failed. And we got up, we're here, here we are again, you know, 80 years of prosperity. This could again be the beginning of the end. Or, you know, he was hopeful in the sense that if enough people push back, it could be staved off again for a century or more. You know what I'm saying? So in that regard, I just feel that one day this is coming. We're seeing this come about many times in history, but that, you know, it's failed in the past. It could be it now. It may not be. And either way, we have to fight. We have to fight the good fight. We have to do what honest people do. Uh, people who want justice fight against evil and not just like sit down and oh, let it come and, and hit me. So I don't Maybe that's, you know, a, a positive note. That, uh, and the same thing, I've inter interviewed Patrick Wood of Technocracy, the technocracy expert. He's also a Christian. He says the same thing, like the pastor said, that this could be it. It may not be it. Regardless, we have to fight back, resist, and just see, see, see how it plays out, see what happens. That's it. I mean, as you said, fight the good fight. I mean, that's what we're trying to do at the podcast. That's what we're trying to do with the newsletter and with the group and with all my coaching clients and all my private clients is trying to do what we can to fight back. I mean, I'm a very solutions-orientated type of person. I'm an optimist. I understand what's happening in the world and I read and try to educate myself, but I'm always a glass half full type of person. And every day I just try to make my life better. And those who are surrounded, I'm surrounded by, try to help everybody to fight back, even in whatever small way. I mean, every day that I can help starve the beasts and help eliminate someone's taxes. I mean, that's a good day for me. Absolutely. Well, I wouldn't say this was the most happiest episode we've ever done at the Expat Money Show. Nonetheless, I do love your show and I really appreciate you coming on. For anybody who's listening, go out and check Geopolitics and Empire. I've listened to a ton of your episodes. You have some amazing guests on there. If my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to get a hold of you, where can we send them? 
You just go to geopoliticsandempire.com. You'll have to look around the site a bit. You've got like the free email list to sign up. You know, I do consultations or if someone wants to become a member because I've stopped uploading to YouTube, but at the bottom of the page, you'll find all 20 like social media that includes all of the alternative media, MeWe, Gab, Float. I'll be talking to the Float CEOs this week, actually. And, and so, and on the five video platforms, Rumble, Rockfin, BitChute, Brighton, Odyssey. Odyssey. So yeah, they can go there. Uh, and I, I also have, it's, this is brand new. I got a gig doing live daily radio, interviewing guests, some of which have appeared on Geopolitics and Empire at tntradio.live. And there you can find my show page as well. So I'm doing both things now, Geopolitics and Empire and TNT Radio. Amazing. And we'll make sure that we have the links to those at expatmoneyshow.com. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay, that's it for today. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. I certainly had a ton of fun recording it, and I hope it was really inspirational. If you guys want to join the conversation and find out more about what we do at Expat Money, then check out our private Facebook group. We have over three and a half thousand members of the group. We only started probably six or seven months ago, this group, and I really wasn't sure how I would like it, but actually it is so much fun. There's so many cool people there. It is the easiest and fastest place to get a response from me. It is the only social media platform that I actually spend any time on, not Facebook in general. I actually hate Facebook in general, but Facebook groups are excellent and specifically our Facebook group is excellent. And it's because of all the amazing people there. So you guys can check it out at expatmoneyforum.com. It's going to redirect you directly to our private group, expatmoneyforum.com, and join the conversation. Come say hello, say where you're from, let us know where you want to go. There are expats around the world. They're sharing boots on the ground research about what is actually happening, happening with restrictions and lockdowns and mandates and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it is the most up-to-date place to get all of your information. All you need to do is go to expatmoneyforum.com. Okay, we will see you next Wednesday on the podcast. Have a great day. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region.
But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.